podcasting from Yosemite National Park on this cold and stormy March 31st, 2010. It's Yosemite Voices. We found a family ski racing challenge where, where you could race as a team with your mom. For kids to feel safe, to be able to venture outside, um, their biggest concern is a mountain lion, you know, as opposed to a lot of other things that they could find living elsewhere. Yosemite Voices is a series of audio podcasts intended to provide insights into the natural and cultural history and management of Yosemite National Park. We also explore the lives and lifestyles of the people who live and work here. I'm Ranger Bob Roney. That was our local high school teacher, Gail Dreyfus, singing When a Winter Day Ends. Yeah, I know, the calendar says the spring equinox was two Saturdays ago. But it snowed here this morning, and children are making snow angels and building snowmen. Yosemite is in the mountains, and the mountains make their own seasons. If you drive up here from the west... On any of the three roads currently open into the park, you'll pass through fields of grass with splashes of color on the foothills. Spring is just beginning to climb the mountains, and that's what it does. It'll continue climbing the mountains until the snow at the highest elevations in the park finally melts in the middle of what the calendar calls summer. Yosemite usually gets snowstorms in April, and sometimes it snows in May. Most people don't know this, and they come unprepared for winter driving. Uh, Right now, tire chains are required on highways 41 and 120 into the park. That's why I wanted a segment about tire chains. Going. Is this a four-wheel, all-wheel drive vehicle? It is. It is. Do you have uh, good mud and snow tires? I do. And then do you have chains in the back? I do. Okay, the speed limit is 25. Drive safe. Okay. My name is Jeff Gardner. I'm a law enforcement ranger. I work in Wawona District. I have a four-wheel drive truck. I've owned chains for three years. It cost me 60 bucks. I've never put them on. I'll have them for another 15. May never have to put them on. It seems like a pretty cheap insurance policy in the snow. I think the most expensive chains I've seen are like $110, and, and most of the time you can get cables which work just fine for 60 Yes, the chain installer today was going to sell individual chains for about 125 So the, the R controls, what, 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 are the, what is the meaning of the numbers? 
For R1, the designation means that if you're a two-wheel drive vehicle and you do not have mud and snow tires, then you're required to have chains on. Any type of vehicle better than that um, is fine. Um, for R2 conditions, if you're a four-wheel drive vehicle in four-wheel drive, then you're fine. Any vehicle less than that in terms of uh, your two-wheel drive, um, then you have to have chains. If you're a four-wheel drive vehicle and you do not have mud and snow tires, then you have to have your chains on. Um, and then R3 conditions, uh, there's no exceptions. So all vehicle types have to have their chains installed. Even if you have a vehicle that uh, is fine for the current road conditions, should they get worse, you have to have the ability to put your chains on. And if you don't own them, then you don't have that ability. And so if a storm comes in and you're stuck, then I'm gonna make you stay there. And then we'll figure out a way to ferry, ferry the people out, but the vehicle has to stay. I had the same vehicle uh, in two accidents, two days in a row. So the first one, it, it, he came around a curve. Um, I mean, I can't really prove his speed, but I believe he came around too fast for the conditions. Uh, he was a four-wheel drive vehicle. He did not have chains on him. And he fishtailed in the middle of the turn. And when he recovered, he ended up running uh, the side of his vehicle into the oncoming vehicle in the opposite lane. And so they impacted and hit his side his side impact bags uh, opened up. When I got there, uh, our first thing was to move them off the road to get them to a safe spot, uh, which can be difficult based on where it happens in the roadway. And he went on his way. Uh, the next day, the, the weather got worse, and then it changed to R3. So by the time he would have come out of the valley, it would be R3 with no exceptions. So when I found him uh, in the bank by about a foot or two feet stuck in the bank, he should have had chains on and he didn't. I already had chains on my rear tires. I put chains on all four tires. I hooked up a tow cable to him and I had to drag him uh, 200 feet to a flat spot. So then I had him install his chains, uh, which at the time he had owned a previous Ford Explorer and they worked on that truck, but he had never checked them on his new vehicle. And I talked to him about that the day before. And so when I left him, I left him still installing his chains which were difficult and uh, I issued him a citation for uh, failure to comply with traffic control device which is requiring chains. When you when you came upon him the second time he's got to be embarrassed. What, what did he say? And when I asked for his ID to work on issuing the citation he's like don't you remember me and I said Yes, I remember you. <laughs> I just don't have the paperwork from the previous accident. 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 You've planned this trip for weeks, driven for hours, and finally, you've made it to Yosemite. Your pulse quickens at the sight of snow on the mountain. Ending a vacation prematurely is a sad thing. Don't waste time by going too fast. You know, National Park Service employees don't just work. They also have lives of their own. My boss, Tom Metema, is no exception. And even though he was recently promoted to Chief of Interpretation and Education for the Park Service, Tom is a husband, a father, an athlete, a coach, Yes, coach of the Yosemite Winter Club ski team. 
And it's in that capacity I'd like to help you get to know Tom. The story picks up at the awards banquet for the Yosemite Winter Club's Silver Ski Ski Race, where children from all over the Central Sierra compete. So welcome everybody to Yosemite National Park. What an amazing place to have a ski race, yeah? Uh, well, my name is Tom Metema, and I am currently the vice president of the Yosemite Winter Club, uh, which is a club that's been in existence since 1928, um, promoting winter sports uh, in Yosemite and the region. Um, and I've been the vice president of the Winter Club for, I guess, three or four years now, and also longer than that, I've been the head coach of the Yosemite Ski Team. <laughs> Hey, hey, great job. Great job today. The Yosemite Ski Team has been around since the 1940s, um, back in the day when, when Leroy Rusty Rust. How many of you know of Rusty Rust? Uh, one of the early ski pioneers in Yosemite, one of the early ski instructors, formed uh, the ski team. And Rusty coached here in Yosemite for decade after decade. They were referred to then as Rusty's crappy kids. Um, hundreds and hundreds of racers throughout the course of time. Uh, they used to race here and also throughout uh, the Sierra. It's kind of a proud heritage to be part of what, what uh, Rusty started way back before many areas anywhere in the country had race teams. And the ski team's been in different forms since the 1940s. It's been up, it's been down, like most things. It's been really big and really small. And we've been kind of seeing a resurgence you know, over the last six or seven years with the ski team growing again to almost 30 kids. Had you coached skiing before? Yeah, yeah, I've been coaching for a long time. I grew up racing in Michigan with my brothers and my family and uh, coached back there when I was in college. I coached local high school teams there and then got out here, and a year or two after we got here, the, the ski team needed a coach, and so it was a great opportunity to jump back in and, and do what I love. It's a volunteer position. Um, I get to you know work at Badger Pass and, and help the kids. We host a race every year. Uh, the silver ski race we host, and so all the things, the practice, the training, schlepping gates around, drilling holes in the snow, you know, putting gates in, cleaning them up, helping the kids out. I mean, it's just all part of the deal, and it's just a lot of fun. You say it's fun, but it sounds like a lot of work to me. What's that all about? You know, for me, family's, you know, one of the most important things there is, and ski racing and competition are, are one of those things that I grew up with in my family, and it was a tradition with, with my parents um, to, to spend our weekends together, um, to, to whack skis together, to, to load the car together and, and head up to the mountain together. Um, you know, we celebrated our races together, we celebrated our crashes together. Uh, you know, it was just a tremendous opportunity for our family to, to, to grow and bond with each other, and that's something that, that I can find volunteering, you know, to coach my own kids, and, and my wife is volunteers for the Winter Club as well, that we're all together on the weekends, and we're not, we're not going our separate ways and doing our own things. We, we spend our time waxing skis and traveling up to the ski area and hauling gear back and forth and on the hill together and, and celebrating the kids when they win medals and, and helping them out when they crash and burn. That's, you know, that's part of the deal. So it definitely, you know, keeps our family strong and, and carries on those traditions that I had as a kid, and, and hopefully my kids will will we'll coach their kids, you know, and that tradition will continue when they're older as well. So how did that family tradition get started? 
in my own personal racing history, it's with when my parents um, both decided to race, uh, even though they were both older and, and weren't that. They saw that, that the kids were racing well, and we found a family ski racing challenge where, where you could race as a team with your mom or with your dad. You could race brother-brother, father-son, mother-son, mother-daughter. And so we entered this, this competition, and um, we actually, you know, we won with my mom, who had never raced before and, and didn't really care to, but she wanted to anyway so that she could be part of the whole thing. Uh, you know, I can remember racing, you know, together with, with them. Uh, and that was that sticks out the most is when my parents actually decided to strap on the, the race skis and do it themselves and join the fun. Uh, that was That was an amazing time. And my own kids being able to find their success in, in the fir- probably the first time they ever got a trophy, you know, ski racing, um, just seeing them on the podium and, you know, what it meant to them and how proud they were. And, and they knew that it was part of a tradition. You know, even though they're only seven, eight years old, they've seen us race. They've seen the pictures at home, you know, on the walls of my brothers and I and our trophies. And, you know, so they get the meaning of the tradition for the family. Can you tell me a little bit about what, what you like about skiing here? And I love to go fast, and I love to hit the gates, get to race, and get a chance at a medal. And it's just really fun. What do you love about it? Everything, really. Just, like, being coached and getting better every day and going fast. It's all just really fun. I just like to ski because when you're going really fast down that hill, it's a pretty good feeling when you got that adrenaline pumping. Especially when you're going like 30 or 40 miles an hour. Jeez. It's pretty cool. I like to race on the song courses because you go, like, it's really, really fast. I like and it because my dad, when he grew up, he was always skiing um, with his brothers. And um, now he's the coach of the ski team. And so um, he, I learned how to ski when I was really young. And now I just, I really like it. And winter is my favorite season. The fun of winter uh, it's just one of those things. It's one of the reasons I will always live in an area that has the winter season. You know, I've lived in Washington and Michigan and Ohio and California. Um, I always have to have access to that. Your father's a ski coach. Yeah. What do you think of him as a coach? Um, well, sometimes it's hard to listen to his directions because he's my dad. It's not easy to coach your own kids. <laughs> Anybody who out there who, who out there who's a coach knows it's much easier to coach other people's kids than to coach your own. But um, he gives me really good advice, and I just I try to listen as much as I can. But sometimes it's hard. What makes it hard? Uh, because you're coaching them at home every day, and they don't want to hear just because it. Because he's my dad, but, uh, and he he is always a, like he's always been telling me how to do things, and so it's it's just kind of different because you feel like like you're different than everyone else. Does he treat you different than everybody else on the team? No, he he doesn't. But he he pushes me and my brother really hard because he wants us to grow up and be good skiers. And just like he he skied all through like college, he raced, and so he wants us to do the same. And I think it would be really fun. That that feeling of seeing them up there and and feeling, you know, seeing the joy in their face of having achieved that and accomplished that on their own. And, um, you know, that's a special moment for sure, and there's a lot of pride involved. You know, these winter sports are, are contagious, and it's different, it's fun. There's almost a little bit of a kind of survival element to winter sports because you've got to deal with the elements. It's not just going out and playing beach volleyball or going out and playing soccer on a nice green field. I think that a lot of our other sports don't quite have that same dynamic, and that adds a really special element, uh, almost like I said, a survival element to, to these winter sports that make them even more challenging. 
How do you think people from the warmer climates might relate to winter sports? I think people from, from warmer climates, you know, I see them come up to Yosemite all the time. What's the first thing they do? They start throwing snow at each other, <laughs> you know? It's the first thing they do. There are snowmen from here all the way to Badger Pass right now because people that come up from L.A. or, or the Bay Area, the first thing they do is want to get out and build a snowman. They want to get in the snow. Uh, so I think that that special relationship with snow that, that people who live in, in winter climates have is, is something that, that everybody can appreciate no matter where they're from. You seem really dialed into sports. Any particular reason? Well, for me, it's, um, you know, health is, is one of the biggest parts of it. It's just a healthy lifestyle. I mean, uh, I grew up, you know, cycling and playing tennis with my parents, and, um, you know, I still, we still ride a lot. My, my dad, my son, and I just did a, a week-long tour of Colorado together, three generations. Um, so for me, sports is really about healthy living. And then the competition I love, too. I mean, I love competing. Um, I loved competing against my brothers. We used to race on weekends, and we race in a program called NASTAR. And you could keep making runs. As long as you paid a buck, you could make another one and another one. And we would go back and forth. You know, my brother Chris would beat me, and so I'd have to pay a buck and go do another run, and then I'd beat him. And he'd go back up with his buck, and again and again and again, 10, 12, 13 runs, um, just back and forth, back and forth. You know, and it's just it's fun. Uh, that's great for you. But uh, tell me, what do you think's in it for the kids? That's a great question. I, I mean, I think kids love competition. You know, you see it on the school playgrounds. You know, you see it um, on, the, on the fields with how many kids are playing soccer now and doing all these other things. They love to compete with their friends. You know, this Saturday, for example, we set up a dual slalom course where the kids could run side by side and just race each other head to head. No clock, just whoever gets to the finish line first. It was the most fun we've had this whole year. Why is that? You know, why, why is it that all of a sudden you put them side by side against each other and they're just, I want to go against you, let's go against you, let's go again, let's switch courses, let's, you know, they just loved it. That's great. Speaking of switching courses, I'd like to switch courses now and ask you about your perspective on family life here in Yosemite. Family life in Yosemite is, is fantastic. Um, it's one of those environments where you have... You have so much support, you know, in a national park like this where you're living rurally with many other um, park employees and their families. You make a lot of friends fast, and it's a community that just takes care of each other. And the small communities here of the Valley and Wawona and and Alpertal and the others, um, these are areas where people, a lot of people of like minds come to live and to work. And so you do find um, good friendships there. Uh, You find a lot of opportunities to, to recreate. Uh, with your friends in a place like this. We've had limited cable for a long time, and, and there's a lot of homes that don't have TVs in them, and, and so you just find yourself spending a lot more time outside. The kids that come out of uh, living in a place like Yosemite are, are really well-rounded. They tend to be more active politically than a lot of kids that I've you know run into in other places. and um, So it's, it's really, a, to me, it's idyllic. Uh, it's an idyllic kind of setting for families, um, for kids to feel safe, to be able to venture outside. Um, their biggest concern is a mountain lion, you know, as opposed to a lot of other things that they could find living elsewhere. Seems like a lot of danger here that most people in other areas uh, don't even have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, th- one of those things that you can't, um, you can't really understand until you experience, you know, what it feels like to live in an area where where there are. There are lions and there are bears, and that's where your kids are, 
are playing outside, um, and you, they're going to play outside. You're going to allow them to do that, and the kids have an understanding of what that means. They understand, you know, that they're in lion habitat, and that lions have a right to be there, and that they're they're out there hunting raccoons and small deer and things like that. They're not hunting kids, but they have to be aware. They have to be careful. They have to understand what the you know what the consequences are, and and it adds a a whole uh, a whole other element to their outdoor play. And so as parents, you're very aware, you know, that where you live is inherent with natural risk. Uh, You love that, you know, and you love living in a place that has wild animals like mountain lions, that has raging rivers like the Merced, the Tuolumne, um, but also teaching the kids that healthy respect um, for the environment and uh, taking care of themselves while they're out there. And the kids become very self-sufficient. And uh, I I know a story of, of one young lady here who went to college and, um, she hiked all the way from, from Yosemite to Evergreen College up in Olympia, Washington on the Pacific Crest Trail. I mean, there just aren't kids coming out of a lot of places that are going to, you know, throw their backpack on and walk to school uh, two states away, <laughs> you know. Well, it's like that whole thing about uh, uh, when I was your age, I walked to school two miles. <laughs> Right. uphill both ways. That's right. So this young lady's going to have the, the, the true story that, you know, she walked a thousand miles to school only once. But um, but that's just, you know, that's just the way that, that kids coming out of Yosemite have uh, have that connection um, to the environment that, that you just don't get in a lot of places. The schools are very small, and so we have small class sizes. Um, our local elementary school is about 50 kids, K through 6. Yosemite High School has about six kids in it right now this year. So it's very much a, an alternative kind of experience. Again, the, you know, the academics, of course, are great. Um, but the athletics, too, the, you know, the, the things that we do with the Winter Club, with the Yosemite Ski Team, with uh, the youth hockey program, there's a figure skating program in the Valley. So uh, even though they don't have some of those traditional sports, you know, basketball and football and things like that in the local schools, um, the Winter Club in, in the wintertime here in Yosemite provides exceptional opportunities for them to, to have outlets and, and sports and athletics that a lot of kids don't get in a more traditional school setting. So I think there's a lot of advantages um, to living here and to being a student here and to being a student here in the wintertime. Well, that's it for today. More Yosemite Voices podcasts are available either at the iTunes Store or at the Yosemite National Park website, www.nps.gov yose. Look for Photos and Multimedia. Click on that and navigate to Yosemite Voices. You'll also find other media there, including a video podcast series called Nature Notes. 
Until next time, remember Yosemite is your national park. We'll stay here and take care of the place until you return.